गुरुर् ब्रह्मा गुरुर् विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात परब्रह्म तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः आई बाउ टू माय गुरु इज ब्रह्मन इन्फिनिट एंड आई बाउ टू हिम इन यू इट मे सीम स्ट्रेंज दैट आई एम बाउइंग टू माय गुरु इन यू एंड हियर आई एम सपोज्ड टू बी टीचिंग यू you know i don't think of myself as a teacher and i don't think of myself as teaching but i share enthusiastically what i have experienced in life and i share it with him because what he has taught me i give back to him it's his gift and what greater gift can the disciple give to the guru than that which he has received giving up his own ego and saying i am yours I also bow to that divine in you because that is what I would like to help you to recognize that you are not a man or a woman or an Indian or an American or anything you are a child of the infinite an expression of the infinite and in the end don't let it go to your head but you are the infinite I say don't let it go to your head because well one time my guru came to a uh a man who had been told he'd been told was a great saint and so he was a boy and uh he bowed before this as he this man as he did uh, before every divine manifestation but the guru who saw him with this great humility and devotion wanted to impress him further he said oh, i am god my guru jumped to his feet he held up a mirror which he happened to have and he said as he said you don't say so He said, "Is that God? That's not the God I'm looking for." And he started to walk out. Well, the man was a humble and true saintly, truly saintly person, and he jumped up in front of all his disciples and went and prostrated himself before my guru because he saw he was a mahatma in the form of a little boy. And he said, "You've awakened me from a great delusion." And my guru said. you can never say i am god you can say god is i the ocean is the waves but the wave can't say i am the ocean and the guru said yes he understood and before all of his disciples he prostrated to mukundas yogananda was called when he was a boy you know when he wrote, wrote his autobiography you get the impression that he was this humble person well he was humble in the sense that there really wasn't any ego there at all he had no pretensions he wasn't trying to come across as anything but even as a boy he told us in his last years that saints that he would go to would look to him for guidance they would ask him questions he came to ask them and they asked him because they saw what a great soul he was born again after a time and again and again he'd come back to this world as a few great souls do in this world to help uplift not just a handful of disciples but the whole planet anyway his training of the disciples was uh very individual and very particular and very much what the person himself needed there's a very interesting one i've talked about how he played with his disciples in different ways to help get them over their consciousness of ego well it was always play but it wasn't always playful let me read from this book conversations with yogananda 
In disciplining his disciples, the Master tried always to lead them toward their own inner freedom and joy. Often the discipline in traditional monasteries is administered with the intention of suppressing people's pride. The Master sought instead to expand people's sense of self into a greater, greater awareness of their true, infinite self. I've said that before. Sometimes in the process he could appear quite harsh, though he always he had an expansive purpose in mind, and certainly he never spoke out of anger or personal displeasure. For some time he made a point of scolding one of the... Oops, I missed the page at the moment. Scolding one of the nuns every time they met. She had a proud nature and predictably resist, resented his treatment of her. Sometimes he reduced her to tears of frustration. His scoldings seemed to her both unfair and unreasonable. Sometimes, indeed, they may have been, for what he was trying to change particularly was her reactions. At last the woman concluded that it didn't really matter. Perhaps she reflected she was only trying in so he was only trying in some obscure way to help her. At any rate, since she had come there to find God, she realized that his smiles of approval were beside the point. The next time he scolded her, he took his, she took his words calmly, even pleasantly. In the midst of what had started as a tirade, he stopped, smiled with approval, and said, I see you are learning. That's good. I've wanted to make you more malleable. From then on, he rarely scolded her again. Well, in this way, I saw that he was always different to each disciple according to that disciple's needs. Some he treated with, you might say, as we, uh, the expression is in English, with kid gloves. There was one man who came, he was middle-aged and sort of a, uh, not a very strong character, a good-hearted, kindly man, but Master was very gentle with him. One time, however, I remember he he said, in introducing this man, Andy, his name was, to a guest, he said, and this is Andy, he's my baby. And uh, he paused a moment and looked to see how Andy was taking it, and he, he said, I'm, I call him that because I'm babying him. And then he looked, but he had this respect, he didn't want to hurt his feelings. So he said, you don't mind my saying that, do you? And Andy said, oh, no, sir. Sort of, uh, kind of a, well, foolish expression, maybe. As I said, he was a good man, an intelligent man, not foolish, but uh, not strong. And that's what Master wanted to do, was bring out that strength. But he did it very gently. It was, a, it was wonderful to see how with each person, he acted in such a way, he was different with everyone. And he acted in such a way that would bring out the best in that person. I know that when... Um, one of his disciples, Diamata, her name was Faye Wright at that time, when she came, she had been his, his, his daughter in another life, and she sort of treated him like a father, saw him as a father, and he tended to treat her like his daughter. This was when she was 17, but once he had sort of brought her, you might say, fully into his camp as a daughter, he wanted to make her also a disciple. And he began treating her quite dis dispassionately, impersonally. It seemed to her almost coldly. 
And she would get very hurt each time because she wanted to think of him as the father. But, you know, a human relationship isn't going to bring you to God. It has to be transcended. And he wanted to bring people... The highest relationship you can have is that of disciple to the guru because it's the disciple of a true friend, a relationship with a true friend. And that (coughs) training in divine friendship bringing you up into making you the same as himself, not to keep you beneath you, to make you one with him. So with that purpose, he acted coolly toward her. And one day she went outdoors and was meditating and praying to the Divine Mother. And she made a firm resolution from now on, Divine Mother, I will see you when I look at him. And she came in, she felt a sense of relief. And she came in and asked for his blessing, as she always did, before she withdrew for the night. And he patted her on the head. He said, very good. He knew her thoughts. He knew all our thoughts. And he always responded to our thoughts, not to our actions, not to our smiles, but to our thoughts. Well, this attitude of strength in oneself, this is what the guru's purpose is. He wants to make you strong in yourself, that woman that he was scolding. He wasn't scolding her to make her finally so beaten down, yes, master, anything you say, no. He wanted her to resist. He wanted her to be strong and then finally to realize that it doesn't matter. You know what he finally did, and this is his purpose, this is what he saw as true discipleship, to become strong in ourselves. That again, I've had, I, we've sung this song, Go On Alone, before. It's a very good message. Give life your heart. Bless everything that's grown. Fear not the loving. All this world's your own. Make rich the soil. But once the seed is sown, seek freedom. Don't linger. Go on alone. Be in this world like a king. Each one of us should be the king of his own kingdom. Your kingdom is not something outside, it's your own thoughts. When you have control over your own mind, then you are a king. This is why when Indians call a Swami or a Mahatma, they call him Maharaj. They don't mean that he's our ruler. They mean he's a man who's in control of himself. This is why the greatest thing you can do... There was a movie many years ago of a... uh, young man who left and sought his guru. And then after 16 years, he came back to his family for one day. And the song, which many of you know, it's in Hindi. Jao, jao, ye mere sadhu raho guru ke sang Sola barasa par ayate ke din Shanta rahe hum But now go and seek the company of your guru. This was a great mother who understood that that was the real training that her son had received, that he had received from the guru what she had not been able to give him. Mothers, fathers, don't be afraid of letting your children go and find God because one child in a family 
who gives his or her life to God is a blessing on the entire tribe, the whole family. You know that one person, this is what my guru told me, one person who achieves liberation saves seven generations forwards and backwards in his family. It's a tremendous blessing. This is why up in Tibet they always try to see that one member of the family enters a monastery. Well, by no means all monks achieve moksha. But those who do, what a great blessing. And even to be fully dedicated is a great blessing. How often I have seen families fight. My family fought against my being a disciple. Did their best to pull me away. They do. This is just human maya. You know, I used to think if I had become a drunkard, they would say, what a pity. But they wouldn't fight it. But because I had decided to give my life to God, they did fight it. Don't do that. Realize that the greatest blessing you can receive is that when one of your own gives his life to God. And if that is a blessing for your family, how much more so for you? All these lives, we keep coming back to this world again and again, thinking, oh, if I had only just married this woman or that man, if I had only achieved success in this, if I only... You'll never get together with what you really want if you follow it that way. If you can decide, in this life I have had enough. I don't need it anymore. I don't need this constant, like a puppy dog running after its tail, going in circles all the time, getting nowhere, or rushing after obscure little missions, and what have you got at the end of it? Look at people in their old age. How many radiant faces do you see of 50, 60, 70, 80? Not that many. Why? Because they're disillusioned. Because life hasn't given them what they want. I'll never forget Swami Ramdas. He came to visit us in Los Angeles. And uh, I was supposed to go and pick him up and bring him to Mount Washington. The elevator door opened, and this very tall, imposing Swami came out, and I thought, this must be he. And this Swami said, no, and he waited, and he waited for the elevator to, door to open again. And out came this little old man, bald, I don't think he had any teeth, at least he didn't look like it, waddling like a duck with this blissful smile. And this was this great, famous Swami Ramdas. You know, childlikeness is what gives you God. When you can love God as a child, when you have have no pretensions and no feeling of, I must have respect, I must be looked up to, I am this and I am that, you know, you're not anything. Just understand that He is everything. If you can give your life to Him, I can tell you from absolute experience, not just mine, I've lived with devotees all my life. I have seen it. We have a community with a thousand people. And those who live this way, because of course not in a large community, not everybody lives equally dedicated, but those who put themselves last and God first are always happy. Those who put themselves first and say, well, when I've got my own trip together, then I can think about God more, and then I can live for others, and then I can live according to these principles. Somehow there's always something missing. Like a 
survey that was made in America of people in different income brackets. In each one they were asked, are you happy with what you have? The average answer was, well, we would be happy if we had 10% more. That 10% is what you're looking for in the world, and it'll never come. No matter what you get, it'll always be 10% more. Have God, and you'll have the whole universe. That's what you really want. Don't sell yourself short. Live for him. May he bless you. Walk like a man, even though you walk alone. Why court approval once the road is known? Let come who will, but if they all turn home, the goal still awaits you.